0: From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs.
1: Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Senesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For nearly 25 years, Derrick Hayes has represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. I'm your host, Leeta Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derrick Hayes. Mm-hmm. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good to see you again. Thank you. Before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. All right, let's get started. Always a lot to cover. Always very informative, packed shows. On your last episode of Injury Insider, you started an informative series on slip and fall claims. I understand that you're going to continue that series today, correct? Correct. Okay. If you are just joining us for the second part, I hope you will definitely go back and listen to the first part, right? Yeah, it
0: lays a foundation for today, but today is is independent of that, but it's good to go back and listen to that one for sure.
1: Absolutely. I know I'm I say this every show, I learned a lot, I learned, but that's what this is, right? You're here to teach us everything Mm -hmm. that we need to know. There are a lot of misconceptions about these kinds of cases, and I think you cleared up many of them already in the prior show. It is really easier now to see how someone could be hurt very badly as a guest in a friend's house or while visiting a business. Very relevant. Yes. I'm a business owner. I mean, I'm hanging on every word, right? It is important for people to know that you can be compensated if someone's negligence caused your injury. So as we were getting ready for the show today, you mentioned to me that you just received a question this morning from a listener that you brought with you. Do you want to start with that?
0: Yeah, I thought I'd go ahead and cover it because it does go directly towards slip and fall claims, So I thought it's relevant. So yes, let's let's start with a question. Start
1: with there, okay. Uh, So for you listening, you can submit questions. This is a huge part of the show and we're gonna stay with us because at the end of the show, we're gonna tell you how to submit those questions to Derek. All right, here's the question. This is from Matt in Lawrenceville. I listened to your last podcast about the law regarding slip and fall claims and appreciated how you explain the basics. It still seems rather complicated, but at least it now makes more sense. My big concern is about my parents. They are starting to have mobility issues, and I'm afraid that something might happen to them as they both struggle to get around on their own what should i tell them to do if either one of them falls and gets injured at a business or in someone's home in their neighborhood and what if they just lose their balance and fall on their own
0: great question it is Uh, we have an aging society of course and unfortunately as people get older they're more prone to injury and and so it's a very relevant question to the slip and fall claims but the first part of the answer is always immediately call an ambulance seek medical attention if that's necessary Make sure that they get the medical care and, and um, you know, of course, make sure that that maintains the initial focus for everyone involved. Now, once that's dealt with, um, then it's time to start collecting any potential evidence, uh, evidence re- regarding the slip and fall itself, photos of the scene where they fell. Everybody has a cell phone nowadays. That cell phone camera is a very valuable tool. So make photos of the area. Uh, talk to people. If there are any witnesses that saw what happened Uh, maybe they're aware of the dangerous condition, they maybe saw what made them fall, get names, get phone numbers, get addresses, be able to reach out to those people if necessary later on so that they can substantiate what they saw. Uh, If you're at a business and they take an incident report, get a copy of that incident report. It's important to know what they write, how they write it, and what, if anything, they refer to as being the cause of the fall.
1: So with that being said, I know a lot of businesses have security cameras, Can you request video footage?
0: Yes, you can. That's another thing, too, is look around. Uh, You can can typically see video cameras in the ceiling or on the walls. If you do see video cameras, then use your cell phone. Take a picture of the location of of the uh, video camera. Because later on, if they say, well, no, there's not a video camera in that area. Well, yeah, there is, because we have a picture of the one on the wall. It may not have been recording at the time, but there's definitely a security camera there. So be aware of that. And as your attorney... I'll look for prior incidents. I would look for other issues that have happened either in that same business or that same area if that dangerous condition was always present and they never did anything to correct it. Um, and with that being said, also, too, do not tell your parents or anyone else that falls. Do not speak to anyone from the business or their insurance company before talking to an attorney. And hopefully that's me. Uh, the reason why is because, well, there's several, but one of the main reasons is a recorded statement. They love to get... Recorded statements from people who've been injured before an attorney's involved.
1: Okay, we're going to talk a lot. I want to dig a little deeper into the recorded statements, but I've got one thing I want to go back to. It's the first thing that you said, "and immediately call an ambulance. Now, let's say this is our aging parent, right? That's the, the question that Matt had. What if that parent gives resistance. Oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. And I know that's of a personal nature, right? It might not be a legal one, but I could see that being very common. I didn't want to, or Mm. I didn't treat, or just go a little bit deeper into, do you just take this into your hands and do what you think is necessary and what you think is best on their behalf?
0: Well, that's one of the problems. And I'm glad you asked that because people are embarrassed uh, as they get older, embarrassed they fell. Um, Many times, I don't want to be a bother. Oh, that's just too much trouble for an ambulance to come. But the reality is, uh, unfortunately, as you age, your bones can become brittle. You're more susceptible to bruising, uh, bones being knocked out of place, bones being broken, those kinds of things. And that very minor injury can turn into something a lot more severe later on if it's not treated aggressively and as quickly as possible and an ambulance can at least come out and evaluate the person your mom your dad or whomever whomever else it may be right there at the scene and at least render that emergency medical care
1: okay thank you for yes. explaining that make that makes a lot of sense that it is really truly can be the embarrassment factor. Oh, absolutely. or maybe right. the injury it's gonna hurt later that night yes. it may be there yes. and in the moment there's right, gonna be there's,
0: adrenaline right anxiety fear pain all those chemical reactions going on in the body And sometimes doctors refer to it as the brick wall effect. The brick wall effect is you wake up the next morning and you feel like you've run headfirst into a brick wall. It all hits you after those chemical reactions leave the body and you finally relax. And then suddenly your body reacts uh, very badly to that that, uh,
1: fall. Sure. And the pain. Most of us have been in an accident, whether a car accident or or something else in our lifetime. And we know how bad it hurts the next day. So, yes, absolutely. All right. Great advice. Thank you, Matt, for that question. I want to go back. I said we were going to pause and dig a little deeper. We're going to talk about the recorded statements. So you've talked about a recorded statement before in a prior podcast and why you shouldn't agree to do them. But tell us all again, why is that important?
0: Well, it, a recorded statement is the insurance company's first opportunity to start their investigation early and hopefully from their standpoint before an attorney's involved. Um, the reality is that, that they'll ask you questions in such a way to build the case against you and not for you. They'll play your best friend. Well, we just need to find out what happened. We're going to take care of you, but I need to ask you a few questions. So they already know the law regarding slip and fall cases and they can try and trip you up. Uh, about what really happened or ask the question in such a way that it provides them a potential defense based on how they've ordered the question. They can also ask questions in such a way to provide defenses um, such as the ordinary man standard, the prior traverse rule, open and obvious uh, hazards, and we'll talk a little more about those in a minute, but um, their their goal is to limit the injuries, limit your recovery. Um, Sometimes they'll ask you, well, let's start with the top of your head and go all the way to your toes. Tell me every single part of your body that's injured. So you start at the top of your head. Well, I injured my neck. When I fell, I, I hit my head, my neck sore. Well, let's talk about that neck. What, what what does that pain feel like on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, it's a 7. So what have you done to address that? Well, I've taken some Tylenol or ibuprofen. I'm going to see a doctor. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll come back to that, but let's talk about the area where you fell. What was that like? Where, describe the area. And then they never come back to the injury. So later on, they'll try and explain that by saying, well, you only claimed your neck was hurt. You never said anything <gasps> it's else a trick. was hurt. But sure, but, and that's because they've deflected to another question, and ultimately try and tie you down to only being injured in your neck and nothing else. You may have twisted your knee. You may have broken your ankle. There are other things that could have happened. But by limiting your ability to respond, it's their goal to also limit the severity of the injury.
1: So if you were on that phone call, you would say, "Hold on," a minute. Yeah, we haven't finished the injuries yet. Oh, absolutely, right. You're right, right. right. You just jump you ask in a question.
0: And and my client needs to respond. Okay. So they've only covered their net. Let's talk about the rest of the body and make sure that they address everything that's going on. But also, too, in that moment, a day after, two days, three days, even a week after the fall, you may not be aware of some of the injuries yet. Yeah. So ultimately, this is what I know my injury to be in this moment. It's not a clinical diagnosis. I'm describing the area where I'm hurt. Only a doctor is able to give the clinical diagnostics. That's it. Wow. Uh, so think about this. I mean, they're going to ask you things, too, like uh, you know, what kind of shoes you were wearing, High heels, tennis shoes, flip-flops, whether it was raining outside, uh, where you may have been looking when you fell, if you were on your cell phone. So, again, all those things are intended to try and and prepare the case against you, not for you. And as an attorney, if there is a need for a recorded statement, I'm I'm on the phone, like I said. I'm there to be a filter. I know what they need to know, but I also Mm -hmm. know what they don't need to know. And my job is to limit it to what they need to know in the moment
1: well that is great advice again my mind just goes wow they're it's a it's a, it's a trap. It, yeah it's a trap they're building a their very case. effective trap they're um uh, pretending i guess yeah or, they'll play your best friend like i said yes, we are so sorry yes. we apologize they're pretending to get facts and, and <laughs> right. act like they care and right. they want to settle this when truly they're building their defense Right. exactly oh, my gosh thank you matt all right well that's great advice uh, let's get back to the answer on the question uh Wrap this up. What else do you want to tell Matt?
0: Yeah, and, and uh, we kind of got sidetracked, and that's fine. I wanted to, to address those other issues, but they must be able to identify the specific reason why they fell. Uh, as an example, if it's water on the floor or some other foreign substance, if it's a uh, bookcase where part of the, the bookcase is loose and sticking out on the floor and they tripped over that, something like that. But if they simply tripped over their own feet, they missed a step, or uh, sometimes maybe tripped over their shoelace, there is no claim, Period. If they don't know or can't see any obvious evidence of what caused the fall, they're likely not going to be able to go any further. In fact, a judge in Georgia would likely grant what we call a summary judgment for the defendant if there is no true evidence of, of how they fell or why they fell, and the case will be done at that point.
1: All right. You know I'm going to stop you right there because I like to dig deeper into these terms. What is summary judgment, and how does that work? I thought you'd ask that.
0: That's good because summary judgment is a, a legal term we use, but right? it's also a very effective tool Uh, that's used in, in lawsuits. In a personal injury lawsuit, whether it's a slip and fall, a car wreck, a dog bite, whatever it may be, the defense may file for what we call a motion for summary judgment. We refer to it as an MSJ. The MSJ, if it's granted, will end the plaintiff's case right then and there. So the MSJ is a request basically for the court, for the judge, to rule that the other party, meaning the plaintiff, has no case because there are no facts at issue. So the defense is basically making the motion, claiming that um, the case should never even go to a jury. They've not met what we call a prima facie case of slip and fall. Um, they're very common, specifically in slip and fall cases, because slip and fall cases are that tough. Now, you can beat a motion for a summary judgment if you can show, and this is a legal mumbo jumbo thing here, if you can show at least one scintilla of evidence, which is the slightest amount of disputed evidence Uh, you got to show that there's some something there that a jury can hear about and potentially use that to decide in the favor of the plaintiff Uh, you must also be able to show that if your fall was caused by uh, what we call a static defect or foreign object uh, you got to be able to distinguish between those two
1: all right so tell us the difference between the two break down those terms for us yeah and
0: those were in the last podcast another reason why it's great to go back and, and relay that foundation but a very quick uh definition of both a static defect uh, think of think of things that are permanent or structural defects like stairs, ramps, doorways, uh, potholes, sidewalks, uh, manholes. Those kinds of things. Those are things that are permanent structures. A foreign object is something that uh, you typically think about: spilled liquids, or food dropped on the floor, or grease. Something that's uh, you know not typically there, but then spilled.
1: Generally. Okay. Okay. Yep. Makes perfect sense. And I know that there's a lot more technical terms, right? That's why we're digging into this. We did this two shows uh, because there's so much to cover. So you mentioned some other terms and I wanna go back and have you explain what are the other terms that are related to slip and fall cases?
0: All right, let's start with the first one. I think I mentioned this a while ago. It's the plain view doctrine. The plain view doctrine is a defense. So if someone's uh, fallen and and they filed a lawsuit, the defense can claim the plain view doctrine. Uh, Basically, it means that if a foreign object or static defect, either one, was easily visible or noticeable to a reasonably careful person, they do not have a case. The hazard was in plain view and should have been avoided. But like every other rule, there are exceptions to the rule. And uh, really an exception to the plain view doctrine is an emergency situation. You know, you're in a building and there's a fire and you're going to run out and you trip and fall over something that would otherwise be very visible. And that's a crazy example. But ultimately, that is an exception to the plain view doctrine. Um, or where the other person is, or the injured person rather, is distracted by someone who's there in the business, the owner of the business, an employee. You know, they're talking to you and distracting you and you're looking towards them and you don't see what would otherwise be in plain view. Well, that's an exception to that rule. Um, so think about that. Another is, and I think I mentioned this one a while ago, too, it's a prior traverse rule. Again, this is also a, a rule that's used by the defense to potentially throw out or win a, a slip and fall case. So the prior traverse rule very simply means you've walked through that area before, you've traversed it before. So therefore, you have equal knowledge of any potential hazard that may be there. Um, you're on the same footing, so to speak, as the owner of the property. So at that point, again, you likely don't have a case.
1: but Again, there's an exception. Do you have a case? Do you have an example? Like, give us something, not just the definition, which is great. I love breaking all this stuff down. But do you have any case or anything or or someone came to you, something you can talk about? Because I know that there's confidentiality. But let's say that they wanted there to be a case. And because of these two terms, there wasn't. Well, I would say that
0: the plain view doctrine is used almost every time, whether it was in plain view or not. A defense attorney or an adjuster will always argue that it could have or should have been seen by what we call the reasonable man standard if they had uh, been paying attention, plain and simple. You know, we're all distracted nowadays, mostly by our cell phone. Mm -hmm. That cell phone rings, you pull it out of your pocket or your purse, whatever, and you start scrolling through and you continue to walk. I'm sure you've probably seen the YouTube videos of people wearing uh, or or looking at their cell phone and walking into water fountains, walking off steps, or falling into a swimming pool. Well, that's the the reason why that plain view doctrine is so prevalent. That's a common defense tactic. And yes, there are specific cases, and I'm not going to go into detail, where that's been alleged Uh against my client, but we were able to defeat it because of some of the exceptions to that rule and and showing that the hazard itself was not in plain view. In fact, last uh, show... We talked about the misting machine in oh, the right. produce department,
1: Excellent. Uh, where
0: water was leaking out from underneath the, the cabinetry and onto the floor, and mm-hmm. it wasn't in plain view for several reasons. Number one, your grocery cart's designed to be pushed, not pulled. So you're walking behind it, not in front of it. And when you've got groceries on the cart, you can't see the floor underneath it. And my client, who was walking through the produce section, slipped and fell in water that was on the floor that had leaked out from underneath the cabinetry had significant injuries, multiple surgeries, and the plain view doctrine did not work because the hazard was not readily observable to a reasonably
1: careful person. Okay, I've heard you mention the phrase reasonably careful person a few times. I put that in quotes, reasonably careful person, right? Yes. We all understand that basic idea of that phrase, but how exactly does the law define that phrase?
0: Terrific point, and I'm glad you said that because law and common sense many times don't work together. Uh, What we think words will mean in normal speech, normal conversation, don't necessarily mean the same things in the law. Uh, So the reasonably careful person standard, uh, it does have a very specific meaning. Uh, Attorneys use it all the time. We also call it the ordinary man standard. Uh, But the law defines it as that degree of care which is exercised by an ordinarily prudent person under the same or similar circumstances. And I've read that verbatim because that's how it's defined. That is it. Uh, It's a phrase that frequently is used uh, in in any kind of personal injury case, but it's kind of talking about a hypothetical person in society or in normal daily activities who exercises an average care or skill and judgment in in what they do. Uh, It serves kind of as a comparative standard for somebody else for determining whether or not there's liability. What would the ordinary prudent person do, the reasonable person do under the same circumstances? So if a jury decides that someone paying normal attention in their everyday conduct could have avoided some situation or some hazard that caused you to be injured as a plaintiff, well, then they you, you could lose your case. They could decide that the ordinary man standard, the reasonable care standard, would prevent you from having any recovery. So kind of think about it this way. If someone is trying to run and jump over a big ditch in your yard and there's a bridge right there and everybody else is walking over that bridge to cross that big ditch, but they run and try and jump and they don't make it. And they wind up breaking their ankle, and they try and come after you. Well, uh, the reasonable man standard says that there's a bridge right there for a reason. You could very easily, like everybody else, have walked over the bridge and avoided that that fractured ankle on those surgeries. So think about what the person knew or should have known as a normal, reasonable person.
1: All right, so stop right there. You've used that phrase several times about what someone knew or they should have known. How can you prove that someone knew... What, what they should have known,
0: sure. right? Well, the law refers to it as actual knowledge and constructive knowledge, okay? Sometimes we'll call it imputed knowledge. So it matters because the legal duty owed to invitees on your property, remember we talked about invitees on property, uh, the legal duty owed to invitees on your property really only applies to hazards that the property owner had actual or constructive knowledge about. Actual knowledge is they they actually saw it. they They knew about it. Constructive knowledge or imputed knowledge means they should have known about it with a reasonable inspection. So actual knowledge is things you can see, you can hear, you can touch, you can smell. Constructive knowledge is really a hazard that only the owner may have known about and should have known about with a reasonable inspection a leaky toilet in a bathroom, a uh, leaky ceiling that's that's dripping water onto some stairs or something along those lines. That that's imputed knowledge. They with a reasonable inspection should have been able to see that. Um, you know, one way to, to to prove it is to to show that an employee was in that area, uh, and and didn't stop to clean up water that had been spilled. Um, it's a way to impute knowledge. If especially if somebody walks up to an employee and says, "Hey, there's a uh, somebody spilled some water on the floor back there, and the employee just kind of shrugs their shoulders. Oh, that stinks, and they don't go to clean it up. Well, you fall on that—that—that's constructive knowledge because they were warned about it. But it's also actual knowledge because somebody stopped to tell them about it and they actually saw it.
1: Okay. And didn't do anything about it. Well, I just thought about another issue. Many times, uh, I'm—I love to run, I love to walk. So I'm on sidewalks around town, in the neighborhood, at a park. I notice if they're broken or they're in really bad shape, or there's a pothole, what happens if I fall on a sidewalk that's on public property?
0: Good question, and sidewalks, streets, uh, those kinds of things are a different animal than your typical uh, personal injury slip and fall case. And and the reason why is because that sidewalk, that street generally belongs to a city, a county, municipality, sometimes even the state. Um, You can still be compensated for your injuries, but it requires a lot more work. And I'm gonna stress that, a lot more work you have to send an anti-litum notice to the city, the county, municipality to let them know about the claim. There's a time frame that it's got to be done. If you don't do it, then you lose the right potentially to pursue your claim. So I strongly encourage anyone listening if you have fallen uh, on a sidewalk or street or something that you perceive to be public property owned by the city, the county or state or municipality, you got to call an attorney immediately because once those t- time frames, those deadlines have passed, then you've potentially lost your right to pursue a claim. There's nothing anybody can do if that's gone. So, um, you know, a couple of final groups that are a little bit different from your normal uh, business owner, your uh, someone else's home, that that kind of thing would be what we call common carriers and innkeepers. We referenced that at the end of the last we show. We did, right? We kind of did a tease on that. Um, so these groups, the, the common carriers, innkeepers, they owe a much higher standard, a tremendous due of care, to uh, people that are on their property. Think about hotel chains, uh, bus companies, elevators, escalator companies. Those are common carriers, innkeepers. Um, There's a higher standard that's imputed on them to provide a safe environment for someone to be on their property. That's their job. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean anything from bed bugs to I mean you name it there's oh. all kinds of things. <laughs> I know I hate to bring it up because it's <laughs> a nasty topic but I have had bed bug calls before. Really? Um, you know those are very tough claims. They they really really are. But that's an example of a higher standard that's imputed on on for example a hotel. Things that need to be done to provide a much cleaner environment to avoid those kind of things from happening.
1: That might happen at the motel.
0: At the motel, exactly.
1: The hotel. I don't know, right? I
0: don't know. I've seen a lot of things. Let's just put it that way.
1: Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, that'll be uh, another topic, right? I'll make you dig into that another (laughs) time.
0: We can do that. Absolutely. Okay.
1: Well, as we wrap up this second part of the series, I want to ask one final question. Based on what I've learned, it seems that slip and fall cases can be tough to prove. And, and I don't think that, I think that was maybe a misconception. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people think that
0: uh, slip and fall claims are, and there are bogus claims. Let me make this very clear. There are bogus claims. There are as many bogus claims that are potential slip and fall cases as there are claims that are very legitimate that insurance companies treat like bogus claims where they should settle those cases because there is clear negligence involved. Uh, But yes, as a whole, slip and fall claims are among the toughest cases to prove. They really are because you've got to prove knowledge. You've got to prove that imputed knowledge or or actual knowledge. Uh, That's difficult. Sometimes, sometimes. Just trying to to show what somebody knew or should have known in and of itself is is a burden that that you may not be able to meet. Um, another thing to think about is that comparative negligence standard we talked about. Mm-hmm. We talked about that in a prior show. It may have been a two or three podcast before, but comparative negligence here in Georgia we have what we call the modified comparative negligence system. It's actually under ocga fifty one twelve thirty three where under the comparative negligence modified comparative negligence standard your your fault, your percentage of fault is going to decrease the amount of recovery you get. If your percentage of fault is fifty percent or more, you get absolutely nothing. So in a slip and fall case, for example, a jury may think, well, it was the ordinary man standard does apply, and that tripping hazard was visible, but it shouldn't have been there. So we're going to find the plaintiff was twenty percent at fault, and the business was eighty percent at fault. And let's say, for the sake of easy math, they award $100,000. You're not going to get $100,000. You're going to get now $80,000 under modified comparative negligence because your recovery is reduced by your percentage of fault. So those prior traverse rule, the ordinary man standard, um, you know, all those things we've talked about, those are intended to heighten that comparative negligence standard and if a jury continues to think well the plaintiff should have seen this or the plaintiff walked through there before or if the plaintiff had been paying more attention they may have been able to avoid this this hazard and all of that kind of adds up to the point where they think well you know the plaintiff yeah they're probably 50 percent at fault just like the businesses business did a lot of things wrong but the plaintiff potentially could have avoided it so we're going to say it's 50 50 well that happens you get nothing zero period. They can award you $100,000, but once they say you're 50% at fault, that big $100,000 number becomes a big fat zero.
1: Wow. How, that would be disappointing. Yeah, it is. And that
0: that's why these are extremely tough cases. And more importantly, why it's imperative to have an attorney involved. Because one of the, the very basic answers to a question can be construed to open the door to provide one of those defenses that would, again, potentially have a jury find the plaintiff to be at least some degree at fault if not completely at fault.
1: Sure, if you didn't have an attorney, we go all the way back to the beginning of the show and you get I don't know, turned around in your recorded statement. yeah right? Exactly. That, and you just tripped from up. there and all the uh-huh. way through um yeah, I mean there's just so many ways and let's say you said, "Oh, I can handle this. I don't want an attorney." and you get your 100,000 and yet you get nothing.
0: Yeah, let me ask you a question. Okay. I'm going to put you in the hot seat for okay. a second. So okay. in conversation, just think about it in conversation. If somebody walks up to you and, hey, Lita, how are you doing today? Fine, thanks. That's generally the answer you give. Most sure. people do. It's a- so as an adjuster asking the question on a recorded statement, well, let, just before we get started, how are you feeling today? How are you doing? Well, I'm fine. Because that's the common answer that most people tend to give. Now, you're really not fine if you've got a broken ankle, if you've got a, a you know, a torn kneecap, whatever it may be. But in conversation, yeah, I'm, I'm fine.
1: I, no one would lead. And those are the kind of people that you don't really want to be around. Oh, my back hurts. Right. You exactly. know, right? right you're right, not going right, to right. lead. What is of that it? Debbie sort. Downer? That, yeah. Absolutely. You don't want to hear, right, oh,
0: God, that I've got this dark cloud Ask over me every again. day. So, how are you doing today?
1: Terrible. I'm on crutches. I have a headache. The medicine's not working. All right,
0: right, right. And you're given a litany of things that are potentially true but with an attorney involved I'm not going to I'm not going to have them ask that question if there's a specific question regarding their health let's address it but a general question is not sufficient we need to talk specifics here and you know again something I said earlier most of my clients are, are not doctors but if they are a doctor they're not going to diagnose themselves and give clinical terms themselves they're going to talk about my Ankle hurts, my knee hurts, my back hurts, my neck hurts, whatever it may be. So in that conversational recorded statement, um, yeah, I hope you're doing okay today. Yeah, I'm fine. So how, how's your day been? Oh, that's good. Those are easy answers to give because you may not want to open up completely, mm-hmm. but instead you've closed a door and you've provided them an immediate defense.
1: Sure. And the defense says they were sure. fine.
0: So mm-hmm. let's let's even go a little farther with that. Okay. So that's that's two days after the, the fall. Uh, or even a car wreck, whatever it may be. That's two days after the the event happened. And, yeah, I'm fine. And you've gone to the hospital, and you were referred to a clinic for follow-up, and you've called, but they can't see you for a week, and that's common. So you make that appointment, and two days after you've gone to the hospital, they ask you, oh, I'm doing fine. And then a week passes, and you go for your first follow-up visit, and you wind up having eight or nine weeks or longer of physical therapy. But yet you were on a recorded statement where they ask you, how are you doing? I'm fine. So think about it. I I can tell you as many times as I have to, the adjuster and eventually a defense attorney is going to say, well, you indicated you were fine only two days after this fall. So between two days after the fall and when you started your follow-up care, were you carrying garbage to the street and you tripped and fell? Were you carrying groceries to and from the car? Were you cutting the grass? Were you carrying the kids out to the car? What were you doing that potentially caused you to bend, lift, stoop, you know, something that tweaked your neck your back your your leg whatever it may be that now you're having to go treat with physical therapy that based on two days after the wreck you said you didn't need you were fine
1: i could see you steering the questions to what can you do can you pick up the dog can right. you walk the dog can it, you right. you know do this with your kids right um you want to say so they give yes no no i can't my back hurts too bad i, I can't bend over and pick up the trash yeah and, and yeah.
0: there's ways that questions can be asked in a legitimate way Uh, fashion to get the information again what they need not what they don't need and that's the purpose of an attorney being a filter and that's why uh, with me on the phone I'm not going to let you answer questions that you don't need to answer I'll tell the adjuster we're not going to answer that ask something else let's go
1: well I think this just proves over and over and over why they need to call you anyone listening if you think you have a case if you've been in a wreck any kind of personal injury call Derek And I'm going to turn this over to you and let you tell everyone listening how they can find you. And don't forget, because we told them at the top of the show that they could also tell, uh, I'm sorry, they could also ask you questions that I will read on the show. So finish up with that and tell everybody how to reach you.
0: Well, I want to say first, the initial consultation is always free. Free. So if you have any concern, any question you think there's a potential claim just call me because that is free doesn't cost you a dime but to get in touch with me we'll start with a phone number 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970 next is my website it's Derek D-E-R-E-K the letter M is in Matthew and then Hayes H-A-Y-S dot com. So Derek M. Hayes There on my website, you'll see a chat feature. Uh, in fact, if you're on for just a few seconds, the chat feature will pop up. You can type in a question and you'll get immediate answers. That's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also submit a question directly to me about a potential claim. I'll be the one to receive your email. I'll be the one to respond to your email. If you put your phone number on there and you want to talk about it, then I'll, I'll be the one to call you and we'll discuss it. If you simply want to submit an, a, uh, a question or a topic for the podcast, you'll see a podcast tab. click on that. and there's an area where you can submit your question for the podcast. All you need to do is put your question in your name. That's it. We don't ask for anything else. Uh, but also to check out my social media. I'm, I'm on Facebook. It's law Office of Derek M. Hayes instagram law office of Derek m hayes and also twitter law office of Derek m hayes so you can give me all kinds of ways i'll be happy to talk to you and if there is a potential claim i'll be happy to represent you and and move forward with your case and maximize your compensation
1: well i encourage anyone to go back and not only listen to the first show in this series but go back and listen to all the shows if you're catching us for the first time uh, Derek does a wonderful job of breaking down all of these legal terms and giving us so much information. Uh, this is my favorite show. I love it. So. I appreciate you having me here <laughs> and uh, the education I'm getting. Is I feel like amazing. I need a classroom in
0: here and a whole bunch of people sitting around with notepads and pens.
1: I almost went to law school like that. I was pre-law. That was my first declared major in college. And it was not for me. I started taking all the histories and I went over the, <laughs> But I really it. feel like it's coming full circle for me right well, now. Yes, OK, yes. so I'm getting that law education uh, without having to go to law school. It's a lot of inductive
0: reasoning, deductive reasoning, a lot of thought. I mean, a lot reading there's a lot of that too but
1: well thank you Derek for taking the time out of your very busy schedule and helping all of your clients and the people that you do every day and now having this platform to help many many more thank you so much everyone for joining us on injury insider with Derek Hayes presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.